Once again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, just gonna tell you right off the bat, this is not a Mother's Day message. Uh, I'm not apologizing for that. We are working through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we got too much to cover, and so we're gonna stick to Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter four this morning. I'm gonna say this, uh, and then we're gonna have a little bit of review and context and, and things going on. The passage we have for us is not hard to understand. Like, like some of you wish I would do this because I'm going to say we could, but then we're not. Uh, but we could easily read these seven or eight verses and, and be done. Like, like maybe there's a question about what does this mean? Maybe there's a question about, you know, this word and how does that fit? But overall, we could read seven or eight verses and, and, and my eight-year-old son would be like, yep, I understood what you meant. Right? So, so when I say that, uh, I'm going to say we're going to have a lot of context and a lot of other things uh, because, because I have time, one. And two, we're not going to c- completely understand the, the importance of this passage if we don't understand the context. So, Cody, you did a great job last week. I thank you for it. I'm not trying to re-preach his message, uh, but I just need us to understand where we're at in Ephesians, right? So Ephesians 4, verse 17, uh, which is what Cody preached last week. What does Paul say? He says that we, uh, this new people of God, this temple of God that's made up of people and not a building, he says, what are, how are you supposed to live your life? Okay, so you're going to live your life, verse 17, not like the Gentiles live their lives. Okay, so, so here's this new people of God. You're going to look different than, than the people who are not the people of God, right? Pretty easy to understand, not too hard. What does those people look like? Well, he, he tells us, right? There's this futility of their mind. Uh, there's darkened understanding. They're excluded from the life of God. There's this ignorance that is in them. He talks about sensuality. Uh, Cody had this great quote last week from William Barclay that the greatest characteristic of sensuality is this. The bad, uh, the bad man usually tries to hide his sin. But the man who has sensuality in his soul does not care how much he shocks public opinion so long as he can gratify his desires. Right? Like, like is that not our culture today? Like, like whatever it takes for me to, to find gratification of all my fleshly desires, like, let me just do it. If it shocks you, if it's in your face, I don't care. I'm, I'm only concerned about me. Right? And then it, we talk about this impurity with greediness, like this, this impurity, and they just want more and more and more. Like, like that is the context of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. That is the context of Sarasota, Florida right now. Okay, so, so for us, I would say, hey, this is an old passage. It was written 2,000 years ago to a church. Like, Ephesus doesn't really exist much anymore. Like, you can take a tour of all the ruins. Like, like okay, I understand that, and yet the context would be the same. Okay, but, but there's a little bit more to the context than just here's a, a world, uh, a, a culture that's full of sensuality and impurity. Right? Because right? the whole study in the book of Ephesians so far, we've talked about the word you. And the word you is never singular. It's always plural. It's always you all, all y'all, using, you guys, whatever. However you say that phrase, like it's always plural. And I, and I would just think, uh, it's my own thought, I would think that Paul's saying the same thing about the Gentiles. So, so individually, they have this sensual lifestyle, and we can maybe understand that. But what they're doing, history would tell us, what they're doing in the temple, uh, temple of Diana, Greek word is Artemis, uh, what they're doing in their temple in town is what? It's the same thing that Paul just listed in the passage Cody covered last week. So as they would gather for worship, whatever that looked like, daily, weekly, whatever their schedule was, when they gathered for worship, you would look at that gathering, and you would say they are sensual and impurity with greediness. Like, as a people. Okay, so, so let's talk a little bit about this. You don't have to turn there. Acts 19, when we started the book of Ephesians, we started in Acts 19. Uh, Acts 19, the silversmiths are upset. Why? Because as Paul and this group of believers would show up in Ephesus, they preach the gospel, people turn away from idols, and so the silversmith has no more income. Right? Like, like that's the effect that the gospel has uh, in this area. Now Paul's writing back to the church. Okay, but here's uh, some insight on what the, the silversmiths say in verse 27 of Acts 19. 
Not only is there a danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, that we wouldn't make any money as, as idol makers anymore, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, or in Latin would be Diane, be regarded as worthless. Okay, understand, like this, this temple, we'll talk about the temple here in a second, but this temple of the great goddess Artemis would be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. This is, this is the gospel going forth into Ephesus. This is the gospel going forth, and these people who are making money off of, off of idol worship are saying, we're going to lose our income, but not only that, this temple will become ruined. Like, like, look what he says about the temple. Like, this is where all of Asia and the whole world would come and worship. And Paul says, hey, hey, God would say, hey, here's a spot to put a church. Right in the midst of all this. Okay, just for reference and because I think it's fun. This is what people, obviously it's not a real picture. We didn't have cameras 2,000 years ago. Uh, but this is what people think that the temple would have looked like. Something of this sort. Right? So what do they say? They said, we're worried that what? That this magnificence, this, this glory, if you will, of this temple will soon fade away. Here's a picture of the same temple today. Right? You got, you got ten stones left. You can take a tour of Ephesus today. For a whole day tour on a bus is $60. This is one of your stops. One. Not, not your stop. Like, for less than $60. You divvy it up. It's about six bucks, and you get a tour stop here at Ephesus to go look at this temple. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world now looks like this. Right? And you would imagine, what does the church look like today? Like, it would probably cost a lot more than six bucks to go see what God's doing in Asia, what God's doing in Europe, what he's doing in Africa. Right? Like, like God, the gospel is at work. So, so these silversmiths in Ephesus, like, they somewhat got it right. Right? The gospel comes forth, and guess what happens? Uh, the, the false religion of the day just falls apart. Okay, so, so here's the context, though. When Paul talks about a new temple, yes, he's talking about Old Testament things. There's a Jewish audience there in Ephesus. But I can't help but think he's also referring to a temple in town. Like some of these people are being told, you're a new temple. Guess where they were a couple weeks ago? They were practicing sensuality in a temple in town. Like, like that was maybe their income. That was their job. That was their daily occurrence to go to the temple. And impurity with greediness was their life. It was the way they worshiped. And now Paul is saying what? He's saying, no, you haven't learned Christ this way, right? Ephesians 4, 20. Well, Cody made a big emphasis on that word, but but you did not learn Christ in this way. Like, like you used to worship this way. You used to go to a temple that was like this, but you're no longer, no longer part of that, right? Something's changed, something different. You're now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the end of that passage, what does he say? He says that you're going to renew your mind. You're going to think differently. You're going to put on this new self and, and there's going to be this likeness of God. And what is this likeness of God? It's righteousness and holiness of the truth. Okay, now those are kind of broad terms. And what we're going to see here, starting in verse 25, which is our passage. In verse 25, Paul's not going to be broad. Like, here it is, plain and simple and, and specific to the point. Okay, so, so here's the context though, right? We can't miss the context. Here's the context. You want to overcome the false religion of the day. You want to be a light and a testimony and a sensual, greedy culture that, that just loves themselves and, and fulfilling desires of their flesh. Like you want to make a difference. You want to change the world. Paul says, here's what it's going to look like. Like this is it. And I guarantee you that some of us are going to leave here being like, what was, what was the thing that was going to make a difference? Like we missed it. Because in our American culture, we want the fanfare. We want the confetti falling from the ceiling. We want all this hoopla. And that's not what Paul's going to walk through. And so for some of us, we're going to be like, hey, I think I missed uh, this idea of, of, of how we're going to change the world. But this is it. This is what Paul's saying. You're going to change your culture. Here's what it looks like. As a church, right? He's writing to the church. 
So yes, individually, but also together corporately as a church. Let's read our passage and then we'll dive in. So Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, one which eat with each of his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Okay, I said this before. I'm going to say it again before we dive in. This is simple. It is not complex. At the same time, we need the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do this. So we might, we might be able to grasp it, but we might be able to leave here today and think, I understood what Paul meant. It wasn't too complex of an idea to grasp. And yet at the same time, if we do it in our own power, we're going to fail over and over and over again. Right? Uh, second thing, when we think of back in verse 24, what does this new life look like? It looks like righteousness and holiness. And, and my upbringing, we talked about this last week in discussion group, my upbringing of holiness was don't do bad things. And yet this text is going to say put off and also put on. Right? Like, like holiness isn't just, I'm not going to step away from evil and stop doing the evil thing over the world, but it's also I'm going to put on Christ-likeness. Like, we can't call ourselves holy, we can't call ourselves followers of God if all we're doing is, is putting off the evil thing, right? There's, there's this idea of putting on, okay? So, so here we go. Here's the game plan. Here's the, how to change the culture uh, that, that is consumed with self and with gratifying their flesh. Here's how you do it. Verse 25, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Like, that's it, right? That's, that's pretty simple to understand. Not too hard. What does he say? He says, you as a, as a church, you as this new people of God, this new temple, what are you going to do? Is you're going to proclaim the truth. Right? You think of that temple in town, Artemis? Right? That temple? Like, like that's not proclaiming truth. Like, like, they're being told that if you give this much money, if you do these things, if you p- perform these, these rituals, if you will, like, like, if you do these things, then guess what? Then you're going to be protected. And they'll promise you protection in childbirth. They'll promise you protection in your pregnancy. Like, they'll promise you all this protection. And all of that is based on lies. Like, none of that is true. Right? And so, so here's a temple of town that's basing everything they do on lies. And what does God says? He says, no, you're a temple, and this temple is going to be built on truth. And you're going to speak truth. Who would you speak truth to? Well, well, obviously we would speak truth to those who are outside of this temple. Right? We would speak truth to those who are outside the church. Like, like there's a God who loves you and he sent his son to die for you. And let me proclaim that truth to you. But what else did he say though? He said that we're going to speak truth with who? With each one of his neighbor. Uh, for we are members, this idea of being of the same body of one another. So what does that look like? It looks like back in Ephesians 4, uh, beginning part of the chapter, when he says what? We're going to speak the truth in love. I get to go to my brother and sister in the Lord. I get to go to some of you in this room, some of you in my small group, and be able to say, hey, here's the truth of God's word for you right now. Like, you need that. Guess what? I need that. There's a collective group of believers saying, I'm going to speak truth into your life. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, that's going to change the culture you're in. Not just your church culture. Like, that's literally going to change your your town, your city. Ephesus is no longer buying idols. Why? Because the people of God are living differently. I'm not making this up. I wish I was. 
If you go to a church growth conference today, 2022, I guess it depends on where you go, but but I went on one two years ago, uh, some sort of church conference thing. This this was it. This, I'm not I'm not I'm not kidding. How to drop Easter eggs from the sky to attract lots of people? Okay, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's evil. I'm not saying that's sinful. But it's like the culture that we live in is not coming to Jesus because we drop plastic round things from the sky, full of candy. Right? Put a. I'm not saying this is wrong or evil. We might have this someday. I don't know. It won't be my decision if someone else puts it up. That's their decision. Uh, put a selfie station in your lobby. Right? That might be awkward here. Like, who knows what might be in the background if you open the wrong door. Uh, that could be a really weird selfie. Right? But, but like, that's the thing. Like, we're going we're gonna to conquer evil. Like, the Temple of Artemis, you don't stand a chance. We just put a, a, a selfie station in the lobby. Right? For some of us that maybe grew up in church and a little bit older, I don't want to just pick on today, uh, we're not going to go to movie theaters. Because somehow that's going to that's going to cause the kingdom to grow and go forward, right? And so so we can go throughout church history, and, and we say this all the time. It's amazing that church still exists. Like here's the game plan: speak truth. And what do we do today? Is we say I, I can approve on that. I, I got a better idea. We're gonna we're gonna have the best Halloween outreach. I mean, we could we could do Halloween really well. I've said that before. We could do Halloween really well here, right? But like that's that's what our mind goes to. What is Paul saying? No, 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 no. It's a collective body of people that speak truth. You want to change the culture? You want to change the world around you? Speak truth. Verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Okay, two ideas behind this idea of, of be angry. Uh, the first one this is the most common one, and, and these could kind of work together, so I'm not saying it's either or. But the most common interpretation is, is that you're going to get angry over things that you should be angry over, or you get this idea of righteous anger. Right? So Jesus overturning tables in the temple, like righteous anger. There was an appropriate time for him to be angry, and he was angry. Right? So, so that's the first and most common interpretation. Uh, I think going along with that, the Greek word has this, has this idea of being provoked. Like we live in a culture that's trying to provoke an emotion. Turn on the news, or trying to provoke an emotion from you. And often it's anger. It's some sort of wrath. It's some sort of division. It's us versus them. So I'm just wondering, from the Greek, I'm just, I'm just thinking maybe this is, hey, don't, don't let them provoke you. Don't let them provoke you to anger. They're going to give it their best shot. They're going to do what they can to, to make you lose it, to make you lose your self-control, and yet what are you going to do? You're not, you're not going to sin. You're not going to give in to it. Right? What else does he say about this anger, though? He says, be angry, yet do not sin. And then he would say this, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Like, like, here's this opportunity for me to make it right today, and I'm going to take it. Like, I'm going to make things right right now as soon as possible, even before the sun would set. Why? Why does Paul say that? Look at the next verse, verse 27. And do not give the devil an opportunity. What is that idea? That idea of bitterness and division. So he says, here's this new temple. Old temple, they did things differently. New temple, we're going to do things this way. And we're not going to get angry. We're going to be self-controlled. And if we do get angry, if we do lose it, what are we going to do? We're going to take care of that problem today. Why? Because I know if I don't take care of that problem, the devil's coming, bitterness is coming, division's coming. And I, I don't want that. I want unity. The whole book of Ephesians so far, unity, unity, unity. Like, I don't want division. I want more unity. So in order for this people of God to be unified, I'm going to go and humble myself and ask them for forgiveness. I'm going to restore things and make it right. Right? And this is, this is righteous anger or unrighteous anger. Like, like the devil is good enough. Ah, good enough. I hate to call him good. The devil is uh, crafty enough that he can take righteous anger and turn it into bitterness and division. Right? So if you're like, man, this is righteous anger, I don't care. You go to him and you make it right. 
Why? Because we've grown the kingdom of God. Because there's a, a new temple that we get to be a part of that, that we're in. Verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with, uh, with one who has a need. I just, again, this is easy, right? This is simple. It's not a hard one to understand. Stop stealing. Stop taking things that don't belong to you. Stop cheating the system. Work hard so that you would have an excess so that you can give to somebody else. Now, this is, I just want to park here just for a moment. Throughout the New Testament, throughout Jesus' teaching, there's a lot of talk about money. And there's this temptation in, in a culture today, like right now, our culture right now, 8.5% inflation, groceries are up. I just saw there's a chip shortage, so if you like potato chips, you're not going to have those much longer. Uh, like gas prices are up. Like all these prices are going up. And for some of us, it's like, you know what? I don't, that pile of cash that was, hey, to give away to the needy is really, really small right now or maybe non-existent. And so here's the temptation. The temptation is to say this. I don't have the money to give away, so therefore I'm going to let them borrow uh, my truck. I'm going to let them borrow my house. I'm going to let them borrow some of my time. I'm going to let them, like, I'll just give something else. And, and I, we should do those things. I'm not saying don't do those things. But the emphasis that Jesus himself in the Gospels and, and what we see throughout the New Testament is so often about money that, that I think there's some value to saying, no, this is money. This is saying, I'm going to work hard to have money to give to other people, both individually and as a church, right? This temple, the temple Artemis, right? Artemis Temple in Ephesus. At this time, as Paul's writing this letter, they are the largest bank in the world. They have more money in one building, their temple, than any other building on the entire planet at the time. Like, you think about how they handle money. Yeah, we have it. We, we, we hoard it, and we might give it to you with some crazy interest rate. And now there's a new temple in town, and guess what they do with money? They freely give it away. Just freely. You have a need? Let us help help you meet that need. Right? What's Paul saying? He's saying this is how the gospel goes for it. This is how the kingdom of God is built. And and so often, again, we're going to say, well, I don't don't really have the funds. Okay, here's here's my thought. You just start small. Right? You you hear someone with a need? I, I can't afford a brand new truck for you, but I can afford something. I can, I, can, I, can, I can give to the fund if that's what your need is. Right? Us as a church, we don't have the largest bank account, but we can hear of needs and we can give something. We can help. We can, we can do our part. And what's the message? The message is this. We serve a better God than money. Like, I can freely give it away. Why? Because I know a God who is far better than, than money will ever be as a God. Like, I serve a greater king than, than money will ever be in my life. So I can freely give this away because this is what matters most. I'll work hard for it, I'll earn it, and then I'm just going to give it all away. Like, that's the idea. And Paul says, here's how, here's how the gospel is going forth. Simple to understand, but for many of us, that's really hard to do. Right? That's really hard for us to do. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification, according to the need of moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That, that word unwholesome, I don't... There are words that we should never say, Okay? I said that. I'm not going to take that back. But this word unwholesome is, in the Greek, in, in, in the Gospels, it's used to describe rotten fruit or rotten fish. Okay, so, so here's, here's the thought. The thought is if you're starving, like you haven't eaten in a couple days, and you're walking along the beach, and it's red tide, and there's, there's fish galore, right? If you were to pick up a dead fish and eat it uh, that's rotting with flies on it, it would not have any benefit for you. In fact, it would make you even worse, right? Uh, here's this, this unwholesome word. Like, it has zero value. 
Even, even to somebody who is starving uh, socially, emotionally, however you want to think of that, like they are desperate and broken and needy. And what do we do? We come along and kick them while they're down. We come along and make them feel worse. We come along and put on more guilt. We come along and, and just unwholesome, rotten speech. Right? You think about temple in town, Artemis? Think about that temple. What do they say? They say, hey, if it makes you feel good, do it. Like literally, that would be their slogan. It makes you feel good, do it. That person offends you, man, belittle them, make them feel, make them feel stupid, make them feel like an idiot. Like just, just tear them apart with your words. Go for it. This temple though, yeah, we don't do that. We don't, we don't let unwholesome speech. We don't tear people down with our words. In fact, what does Paul say? He says the only thing that is going to come out of our mouth is this word that is good for edification. That word edification is just building up, right? Like, like I'm not going to use a word to tear you down. I'm going to use a word to build you up. And I'm going to say the word at the right time in this need of the moment. So there are times when it's like, man, I really, I really need to speak the truth and love to this person. But right now is not that time. And this new temple, like there's this wisdom and discernment to know when is that time. And for some of us, we just keep saying it's not the right time. It's not the right time. And years go by, we've never said what we should say. I'm not saying that, but there is this, hey, here's the word of edification in the right time, the right word for the right moment. And then what does he say there? He says that it may give grace to those who hear. Like, like we want to be filled with grace. We're memorizing the passage, Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. Like God has been so gracious with us. And if we're going to be followers of him, what does that mean? It means that our lives should be filled with grace. How is that grace going to come forth? It's going to come forth in the words that we speak to one another. Right? So, so this, is, again, this is what Paul is saying, though. Like, like, you want to change your culture. You want the gospel to go forth. You want the church to be built. Here's how you do it. You do it by giving away your money. You do it by how you would communicate with one another. Verse 29. Actually, verse 29 is right here. With, uh, let's go to verse 30. I'm on the wrong verse. Uh, verse 30 is right with verse 29. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this verse, but most people will connect verse 29 and verse 30. So how we speak uh, not only has the ability to give grace to the hearer, or it could destroy and tear down the hearer, but there's also this idea of verse 30 that how we speak would grieve the Holy Spirit. Like, like, my words uh, affect the person that's listening, but I also have the Holy Spirit inside of me, and so the words I say could also grieve or make sorrowful the, the Holy Spirit in me. So what is Paul saying? saying, if we're going to be this new temple of God, we're going to watch the way that we talk. Right, last two thoughts here. Last two verses. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Let's just, let's just stop and think about these words real quick right? A uh, little bitterness, like we already covered that, right? Don't give place to the devil. Uh, like, apologize today when it was still today before the sun goes down. Like, like we talked about bitterness already. He talks about wrath and anger. Be angry and sin not. We, we kind of covered that. Slander is this idea of speech, specifically hurtful speech that would, that would be for tearing down others. Like, we've already talked about that. Malice is this desire to hurt someone, uh, but the Greek word actually has an even broader meaning than that. And the broader meaning of malice would be this. It is this wickedness that is unashamed of itself. Have we not already mentioned that in this passage? I guess that was last week's passage. Right? So it almost seems like verse 31, what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, here's kind of this wrapping up of, of what this passage looks like. So we're going to be this new temple. Uh, we're going to live differently than the other temple in town. And, and so we've kind of walked through things. Now we get to verse 31 and 32, and he's going to kind of give this, this overarching ending. Right? Uh, chapter 5 starts with a therefore, kind of building a new argument. Uh, so here's this ending section, ending paragraph uh, of, of Paul. And as he wraps it up, he says, we're not going to look like them. We're not going to allow bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, malice. We're not going to allow these things to be part of our temple. 
We're not going to allow these things to be part of our church, part of this people of God. But what do we want to be known for? Verse 32. It says, We want to be known for kindness, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That word kind there, be kind to one another, uh, same Greek word that Paul uses in Romans over and over again to describe the kindness of God. One of my favorite uses of it was Paul says, uh, by the kindness of God we persuade men. Like So often we want to think we persuade men because we scare them. Uh, we, we scare them with hell. We scare them with punishment. We scare them with wrath. And yet Paul in the book of Romans says, no, when they hear about the kindness of God, they want him. And what does Paul say now to the church in Ephesus? He says, you should be known as a church that is kind. Just as God is kind with us. Or can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking in here? Hopefully this is true. We've got a lot of visitors today. Uh, baby dedication, other things going on. Like you would walk in here and be like, you know what? I might not agree with a lot of things that bald dude said in the front, but you know what? That church was kind. Like that church cared about me. Man, what a beautiful thing to be able to say. Right? Tenderhearted, compassionate, being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes as it were. Like, like I'm going to come alongside of you and try and understand what you're going through. I'm going to weep with those who weep. I'm going to mourn with those who are mourning. Like, like that's the context. You come into this church and you're a part of it. You're a part of the family. You're a part of this temple. Verse 2, forgiving each other. How do we forgive each other? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Like, like no strings attached. Free forgiveness. And there's an argument about whether you forgive somebody, whether they asked you or not. I feel like according to this context, it's like someone asked you for forgiveness. Like, man, I've, I've let go of that a long time ago. Like, like, I'll forgive you, but I already have. Because we're on mission together, and, and this isn't for me to be bitter, for me to be angry, for me to hold on to that wouldn't have been helpful. So for us to be on mission together, man, I will freely forgive. Think about the life of Paul. Think about the life of the New Testament. Think, think about the Bible, right? How many heroes of the faith do we know of that, that totally blew it multiple times? Right? Like, like Paul killed people. Like, I mean, for most of us, that's worse than anything else we've done. Hopefully, right? Maybe some of you got that on your, your background check. I don't know. We haven't, you know. Uh, but like, for most of us, we're pretty good on that. Right? We, we think of David. He blew it. Think of Moses. He blew it. Think of time and time again. He blew it. And yet, here's a culture. Here's a people, uh, a people of God, a temple of God. said, no, 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 we're forgiving. We want you back here with us. Like, we're not going to do this without you. We need you here. Right? And so here's the passage, right? Uh, the passage is that this new people of God, you want to change the world? You want to overtake evil and darkness? You want to shut down the temple in town, Artemis? Like, like it's not going to be doing a better Christmas service than them. It's not going to be done because you're more attractive than them. It's going to be done how? By putting off lying, anger, stealing, corrupt communication. It's going to be by putting on truth, self-control, giving, edifying speech, kindness, and forgiveness. Like Paul says, when you're known for that, then the church is going to grow. Then that temple and Artemis has, has no chance. Right? The, the idol makers are going out of business when this happens. So here's the challenge, right? Here's, here's the call, is, is will we do it? Like, will we commit? Like, members here, our gospel community, are we committed to saying, here's what we want our church to look like. Here's how we're going to live individually, but here's how we're going to live corporately. Like, we want to be known as a church that is an Ephesians 4 church. I'm not trying to bash other churches, uh, but just American culture. This is not the church. Right, we, can, I, we visited churches, uh, a lot of churches, before we started this church. Oh, church after church after church would read a Bible passage and then give me five truths to live by, and none of them had anything to do with the Word of God. Right, that's not speaking truth. 
you'd walk in and there was no kindness. There was no forgiveness. There was like this group of people versus that group of people and division and, and lack of, like over and over again, it was like, this isn't the church. Like Ephesians is giving us a picture of the church. And yet in the American culture, we see less and less of this picture. And so the call this morning is, will we commit to this? Like gospel community, are we committed to saying this is what we want our church to look like? Like, do we want to change the world? Do we want to change Sarasota? Do we want to see people come to know him? Because if we do, Paul's saying, here's, here's the outline. Here's the game plan. Here's the battle plan. It's right here, Ephesians 4, 25-32. Okay, but it's, are we going to believe him? Are we going to commit to it? Or are we going to say, eh, I, I like this idea better? Right? So that's the call. Will we commit to this? Let's pray. Uh, We'll take a break, and uh, we do discussion group. I'll explain that for some of our visitors after we pray, but let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for this letter that we get to to study and learn from. God, this passage this morning is not hard to understand. I, I will admit that at times it's probably hard to believe. It's hard to believe that this is the game plan for overthrowing sin and evil in our world. God, it's, it's maybe hard to believe that this is, this is how this church is going to grow. This is how any church that would be uh, following you is going to grow. So God, I pray that uh, in the simplicity of this, that we want to overlook it, that we want to just pass over it. God, I pray in the hardness to actually do it, that your, your spirit would give us grace. I pray for our small groups. Uh, pray for a discussion group. Pray for Sunday mornings. God, I pray that there would, there would be this commitment, this reminder of, of encouraging one another to live out this passage. God, help us to be known as people who would speak truth. Help us to be known as people who are kind and forgiving. Help us to be known as people who would be giving. God, all of these things are things that you are. So God, help us to look more like you. Pray that you would grow your church here in Sarasota. Uh, pray that we would get to be a part of that. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.